Hello and welcome to everyone listening. Thanks so much for tuning in to this special episode and interview. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today. Jeevan Singh is a somatic womb and pelvic healer, integrative mental health practitioner, herbalist, and guide. As a visionary and womb keeper, Jeevan guides women and folks with vaginas back into the sanctuaries of their bodies to reclaim their birthright of aliveness and embodiment. In today's episode, we talk about the power of the pelvic bowl and the potential of language and embodiment for personal and collective healing. Jeevan talks about her journey from trauma to awakening on her life's path as a somatic womb and pelvic healer and integrative mental health care practitioner. She shares some of how she facilitates awareness and supports clients in healing and empowerment. We talk about babes and babeliness and how to support and strengthen our babe energy in the world. And of course, we chat about astrology and some of the placements in Jeevan's chart as they relate to her work and gifts in the world. If you enjoy this conversation, you might also be interested in working with Jeevan more directly. Check out her offering, the Embodied Babe Membership. This is an annual membership that invites you to explore the world of pelvic wellness, menstrual cycle magic, embodiment, and seasonal well-being. Month by month, Jeevan guides you into the energetics of the season, connecting it back to your body and pelvic bowl. Members get access to a monthly live call with Jeevan, a monthly self-care practice, pre-recorded classes by expert healers and doctors in the field sharing skills and knowledge, access to the course library, and access to a members-only Facebook group. This is a community that celebrates the beauty inherent in all shapes and sizes of bodies and is open to anyone who identifies as a woman, femme, non-binary, trans, genderqueer, genderfluid, and gender non-conforming person who wants to learn more about their womb and pelvic intelligence. And exciting news for you, Embodied Astrology listeners receive a 25% off discount on their membership with the special code ASTROBABES. That's all caps, A-S-T-R-O-B-A-B-E-S. This discounted rate is on offer from now until September 1st, and you can find the sign-up link in my show notes or from Jeevan's website. Jeevan, thank you so much for coming over today. Thank you, Renee. (laughs) Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited about it too. I feel like we've been talking about having this conversation for at least eight months or something. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Um, You were just mentioning we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary of knowing each other and another time that I interviewed you. Yeah, (laughs) it was actually a really formative time in my life. Um, I was actually just writing about this for a little written interview that I was doing um, that, is it okay if I share a little bit of story around it? Okay. Um, The question in the interview was around like, yeah, what my own self-care rituals have been and how I started doing self-care. And I was thinking back and I'm like, you know, honestly, I didn't have enough self-value or self-worth until I started doing yoga in my late 20s to really, like, care or tend to my body. Um, And as a mixed-race South Asian person, I'd kind of written off yoga for many years until an Indian uncle told me that I should do yoga and chant om every day Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was like okay I'm gonna try this and so I found 
people's yoga and you were one of my first yoga instructors as I like learned for the first time um, being with my body in that way and through that process I became like both more in my body and also just felt really strong Mm -hmm. Um, and so I remember you interviewing me and it being just, yeah, yoga being this kind of gateway for me into this world of healing and of taking care of my body. Yeah. Yeah. That was during the time I was doing some community outreach for our studio. And um, we had that project, like the people of people's yoga. And I think you were one of the first people that I interviewed. And you're definitely one of my favorite students. I remember that. I would always just, you'd come into class and have this big smile on your face. And you're always so sweet and really engaged and so present. Thank you. Well, I loved going to your classes. They kicked my butt. And, <laughs> and also like gave me so much, gave me language around my body that I'd never had before. And I also just really appreciated your sensitivity in a time in Portland when there weren't a lot of yoga instructors aware of like race in the room and where people might be coming from I always like really felt your awareness and presence and so I appreciate that Mm, thank you yeah so what have you been doing for the last 10 years (laughs) bring us up to speed um So yeah, I would say that time in my life almost a decade ago was really this opening and actually um, we didn't look at this part of my chart, but my Saturn return was Mm -hmm. starting a little bit early, I guess, at that time. And it really was a time of stepping into myself as a healer and as somebody who wants to facilitate healing for people. And so during that time, I had been it had been booked bookmarked by getting held up at gunpoint two times and then also being in a rollover accident that really you know, I consider that accident and that whole period in my life as the universe like picking me up off the tracks that I was on and then placing me on the tracks that I am not on now. Yeah. And that wherever I was going, it wasn't that I was going like the wrong way or doing the wrong thing, but it was, I wasn't really in alignment with my life's purpose. And through those series of traumatic events, it was like allowed me to really come into myself um, in a whole new way and really question like what am I here to do in this lifetime and so one thing I had always said was that I wanted to be a natural medicine doctor my next lifetime but that I wasn't like smart enough this lifetime again kind of some of the like low self-esteem pieces coming up um And so after those accidents, I was like, there is no other lifetime Mm -hmm. in this body. This is my life. And so I feel like I started a second lifetime and applied to Chinese medicine school and got into their doctoral program and did six years of a doctorate in East Asian medicine and then a master's in integrative mental health. 
which has a strong like trauma-informed piece, is really founded on a modality called Hakomi, which is a mindfulness-based uh, psychotherapeutic modality. And so I bring both heavily into the work that I do, um, this traditional medicine piece, and then also this piece of embodiment and a, of looking at the map of the body and how we can heal through the body. Wow. Okay, I just want to pause for a second because I'm remembering that time about, I guess it was a little after we'd met, and um, you were a musician, still Mm -hmm. are, an artist, and I hadn't seen you for a couple of years, I think, and then I remember running into you again and really feeling that there had been a very big transition. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to recall that and honor the turning point around your Saturn return. Um, And I'm looking at your chart right now and seeing that you have Saturn in the early degrees of Scorpio. And we had been talking a couple minutes ago about your chart, and I had said that Saturn is an alchemist, that it's uh, kind of lord of or or goddess of old medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're born in 1983, and that was the year that Saturn and Pluto were conjunct, and they're coming back into a conjunction again next year. And it feels like such an important turning point as you began that Saturn return that you really pivoted to go on this path that is so much about transformation and healing, which is the essence of Scorpio. So cool that that (laughs) happened. And then, um, so you've been doing this study in East Asian medicine and integrative mental health, but your work is so largely focused on womb healing is that correct? Yes. Did I say that right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what, like, how how your work has come about, what it is, and how these two elements of uh, East Asian medicine and integrated mental health come in? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you know, when I think back, I and when people ask me this question, I can't can't really think of like a single point of like aha that I'm going to be a somatic womb and pelvic healer but I look at the scope of my life and um and I always you know whenever I'm sharing about my work or myself I like to share where I come from to give a little bit of context so my dad was an undocumented immigrant from India, um, and then my mom grew up in the projects as a light-skinned Ecuadorian and Puerto Rican woman, and they met in New York City in the early 80s and then had me. Um, and so you can imagine that like somebody coming from South Asia who... Like in my experience, India, I've experienced a lot of um, sexual repression and oppression of women and people who are not like a cisgendered male. Mm-hmm. And so, and then my mom growing up Catholic um, and going to Catholic school her whole life. And so I was born into a household that there's a lot of shame around our sexuality, a lot of shame around our bodies. I remember 
um, being one of the first kids in my class to get their periods and seeing my breasts start to develop and feeling really ashamed. And my dad even taking me clothes shopping and buying like extra large clothes for Mm. me. Um, And so just to like hide my body that was starting to develop. And so when I look at where I come from and um, both the explicit and implicit messages around being in my body and being a woman and being somebody with a vagina um, that I just think there's always been this piece in me that wants to like not live that way yeah Yeah, and doesn't believe in that story yeah yeah how does that relate with what you were talking about before in your 20s of having low self-esteem and low self-worth oh my gosh that's (laughs) a leading question good question Renee that's a really really good question yeah it looked a lot like um during that time kind of treating my body as a sort of receptacle Mm. for both my own energy and other people's energies that didn't belong there Mm. and I think that's so common for people who for many of us who um that our bodies weren't valued either by society or our families or we experienced any sort of abuse um that there is this kind of internal like loathing system that was happening and and yeah that looked like just a lot of a lot of ways that I didn't tend to my body or that I even harmed my body and so when I talk about self-care and tending to ourselves and like doing healing as that our own healing is healing the collective I really really like for me it really is radical work um it's because yeah it's so easy for me, I, I have like completely disregarded my body in the past, and so it's been a process of reclaiming. Yeah, yeah and then helping other people do that. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned that um, these turning points around experiencing some pretty significant trauma mm-hmm. um, were a big pivot point for you. What did that look like in the context of like your self-healing and your, your self-worth? How did that yeah. start to happen? Or yeah. do you remember like first thoughts or yeah. first actions? And Totally. You know what? I actually, I do remember. So I was living in Spain for a couple of years um, before I came back to Portland and teaching English. And I was at my like lowest low. And I just remember like going out with friends and like drinking and then like crying in the streets, walking home at sunrise. And so that's a little like before picture. And then coming back to Portland and having the first gunpoint incident happen and having this like, I need something needs to shift. Mm -hmm. Like, this does not feel good to like be in my life in this way that feels checked out, that feels like purposeless, that just like doesn't feel good anymore. Um, and so I found I was looking for a counselor and I was bent on having a woman of color um, and that it had to be a woman. And I ended up finding somebody who is a white man who <laughs> 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 was amazing and he did it was my first time ever doing somatic um, Mm -hmm. therapy Mm -hmm. 
ever. Like I had been to a different therapist. I had never gotten that much out of talk therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt like repeat, <laughs> repeating my story over and over again. And he was the first one for the first few months. I feel like our sessions would just be me going in crying and him swaddling me in blankets and like rocking me like a baby. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so beautiful that such strong feminine energy can come through him and hold you there. Yeah. He really embodies both really beautifully. And yeah, so I would say that was um, part of that transition time of coming into my own like self-worth and my own body and also starting to get curious about healing. Yeah. Yeah. Through my own healing. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you have this really exquisite body of work that you offer. Can you talk a little bit about it? What it is that you do? Yeah. So I've been doing womb work for the last four years, but it's really the last year and a half that I've had language and a term around what I do. Um, So I call the work somatic womb and pelvic healing because it's really about coming back into our bodies as being sanctuaries and that we primarily do that through the pelvic bowl. And the reason for me and why I center my work around the pelvic bowl is because it's the foundation of our whole energetic body. And so if there's not um, a strong root there, it's hard to build upon that. And yeah, I can share now or later about what the pelvic bowl means to me, but I really see it as both a physical place, but also a metaphor a lot. Let's go there. I want to hear all about it. Okay. Yeah, I really see the pelvic bowl as being a place of not just um, creativity and sensuality, but also of our power and our safety. And we can't, um, in order to be sensual, in order to be creative, we need to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so if that place is cut off, if we don't feel safe, even in our own bodies, it's really hard to to move. Right. Yeah. Could we back up and yeah. get really fundamental for a second? Totally. What is the pelvic bowl? Mm-hmm. Such a good question. So I consider the pelvic bowl anatomically anything between the pubic bone in front and the sacrum and back and the hips. And then all our reproductive organs and our bladder, um, so our uterus and our cervix and our vaginas and vulvas and um, uterine tubes. The word fallopian was actually like a man's name. And Mm so I like the term uterine tube Mm -hmm. Um, and our ovaries and prostate for some folks and anus which often gets left out of the mm-hmm. yeah conversation <laughs> and our whole pelvic floor. And so that whole region, mm-hmm. um, yeah, below our belly buttons and 360 degrees, I call that the pelvic bowl. Okay. Yeah. What does that part of the body have to do with creativity? Yeah, I think traditionally people think that for women and for people with uteruses that you know, we have this very 
uh, tangible potential for creating life. And so that got connected to this place. But I see it as any, I see fertility as being all-encompassing and not just our ability to conceive a human life but also to like have dreams Mm -hmm. to also like have visions that we want to carry out in the world to be like rooted into the earth and then pull from that energy to create so that we're not it's not just us we become channels in that way and so um When we talk about creativity, I think about imagination. And I think it was Bessel van der Kolk who wrote The Body Keeps the Score, Mm -hmm. who talked about um, that one of the main kind of tragic outcomes of trauma, and particularly PTSD, is a a person losing their ability to imagine. Mm -hmm. And so there's even not the thought of like, life can be better or I can feel better because we need the imagination to think of another way of being. Right. And he sees that as like one of the, um, yeah, one of the like biggest, biggest things that we need to address as healers is allowing people to have an imagination again. And so, um, So I see creativity and imagination as being really intimately connected and that if somebody's had any injury to their pelvic bowls or to their sexuality or sensuality or ability to feel rooted in their bodies, then their creativity is going to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense to me. And I, I really enjoy hearing you talk about it. I think about our bodies a lot and embodiment and the relationship of the kind of pelvic region, the sacral chakra and Scorpio rulership in the body to, um, sustenance and security. And so I'm, I'm enjoying a lot how you're putting language to that. And I'm wondering how you work with helping people reconnect if there has been trauma and we, when we were meeting kind of before we started recording, you were saying something that actually I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about now, which is that this part of the body is so disconnected for so many people. And then especially anybody who's born into patriarchy, Mm -hmm. can you talk about like, what do you mean by that? And how does this show up for people? Like, how do you see it in clients or how do you feel it? Mm-hmm. Yes, this is something that really, um, a few months ago, I was sitting with like, why is this all pervasive, this disconnect from our pelvic bowls? Why is it that menstruation is seen as dirty in so many different major religions? Yeah. Um, and, I'm, and I was like, oh, yeah, patriarchy. Yeah. Patriarchy, that is so, that is ubiquitous and has touched most places in the world and um, and in order for patriarchy to survive it needs to cut off the power line the like power cord of anybody that could be a threat to it and who could be a threat to patriarchy women Mm -hmm. and people with vaginas Mm -hmm. and really anybody Mm -hmm. in a marginalized body. So I also think, you know, in this, um, 
people who have experienced colonization as also being potentially cut off. And so I have seen this show up in my practice as, yeah, of people, you know, I often lead like body scans for people, especially one of the first visits, because it's not just a body scan, it's also helping me to map where their awareness is able to go. And I can't tell you how many people that as we approach their belly button and even higher up, there's just like a disconnect. Mm -hmm. Like suddenly they go offline and that might look like I can't feel my genitals or I can't like, or I'm like suddenly in my mind thinking thoughts or sometimes strong emotions come up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm thinking about what we were just talking about is this being a seat of creativity and power and the interest in keeping a lot of people chronically disempowered and and not able to access creativity. Yes, I'm just like, yes. And we're seeing right now with these laws Mm -hmm. going into effect in these places. um, The abortion. The abortion bans, yes. That to me is like, oh my gosh, we need this now more than ever. Mm-hmm. The knowledge that we actually can chart our own cycles and know when we're fertile mm-hmm. or not, and that that information is a threat to right. the government, to pharmaceutical companies, right? Because right? they make a lot of a money. That's the birth control pill and other birth control means. Um, it's a huge threat, and, and yet we never learn that Mm -hmm. in school because our bodies are considered um scary because they could get pregnant and I don't know how many people who are listening or if you even Renee remember being a teenager and I just remember them talking about pregnancy like this really scary thing that's your fault that you could get pregnant any time of the month Mm -hmm. and already like seeding these this fear around the power of our bodies. Yeah. I, you know, I was really fortunate to have, um, pretty hardcore feminist for a mom. And when I started bleeding, she, um, had a ceremony for me. I remember she bought me this red rose candle and invited all of her women friends over. I know it was very sweet. It's very sweet to think of it now. I was, um, totally ashamed Mm -hmm. when it happened. I, started bleeding kind of young at 12 and, um, had a lot of gender ambivalence. I was not stoked to be female Mm -hmm. and was pretty reluctant to think of myself as a woman. Mm -hmm. And so that I remember kind of feeling a little traumatized by her, by her ceremony, but now feeling so grateful that she gave me a lot of information, but in school, I was always the person that knew. Mm. And so I would share it with a lot of friends. You know, I was always the person that knew about sex. I was always the person that knew about drugs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was always the person that knew, you know, like about the, the ovulation method and stuff like that. It's just information I got. <laughs> I'm imagining other, um, other people's parents and me. Mm-hmm. No, it happened a couple of times that, um, friends or schoolmates weren't allowed to hang out with me because of the information that I shared. But that actually seems like one of the ways. So this question of how do you help people reconnect to this part of their body 
using body scans, just basic body awareness, right? Like invitation to feel, Mm -hmm. but then information, you're Mm -hmm. teaching people really important and very practical skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the work that I do that I recommend doing with, with somebody else, because it can easily kind of tip over into, um, sometimes a trauma response for people, but, but I kind of walk the edge with people in Mm. terms of like, okay, so you notice that you get cut off right around your belly button. Mm. Let's go ahead and notice what happens in mindfulness when we like go up together, right, right to that edge where you start things getting, start getting a little fuzzy and let's like hang out there and see what happens. Mm. And so I really consider the work that I do, the work that my clients do as a kind of edge walking. And at that edge, they get to start to, to create new neural pathways, new energy pathways that say, this is safe. I belong here. I have a right to be here. I get to take up space here. I get to grieve this. I get to move this. I get to celebrate this. And so it's really, really rich work and it looks so different for each person. Yeah. But the mindfulness piece and, um, and yeah, tuning in is, yeah. is a really important piece. One thing that you mention a lot on your website is gender inclusivity. How does that work with this with womb healing and reconnection of the pelvic floor and really coming from a, a place that I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, to say I think you're a womanist? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. I have, well, as somebody who's married to someone who identifies as non-binary um, and my younger brother is trans, I feel like, yeah, this like fierce, um, commitment to making this work accessible to anybody who has a vagina, whether or not they call it a vagina. And so if I have somebody who is in my practice who comes in and they don't identify as a woman, I like to ask them, like, how can I talk about your body parts? How can we, um, how can I like you know, call you and call your body and names that feel affirming to you and that feel empowering to you. And sometimes that's something that we get to learn together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of permission is such a strong focus in the work that I do. And then also helping people to start to ask permission of their own bodies while they engage with their bodies. And I think especially for folks, um, who, yeah, who've just been kind of like fallen through the cracks of the medical system and through society and often like don't often encounter a kind of disrespect. It can be very empowering. Yeah. 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 I imagine just having the question of how can I talk to your body? What are the words that we can use? Yeah. As being probably the first time, maybe a lot of folks have even been had that question raised with them and what a powerful question mm-hmm. absolutely and and also I do so many modalities that I think there's like within my work that range from 
doing something as intimate as internal pelvic floor work that's intravaginal to doing pelvic steams where it's like zero touch on mm-hmm. my part um, and so to doing like external body work um, and so I think that that also helps to meet people yeah. where they are yeah yeah this kind of piece around language and also locating that so many of us, I mean, even me being raised with a feminist, you know, just not having language for my body or for sensations in my body or for desire. And when there's not language, it's such an isolating experience, maybe even um, definitely isolating in relationship, but also isolating for myself. Like I have a, I'm having an experience and I don't have language. I can't talk about it. Maybe it's not real doubting my own experience or doubting the validity of my experience. Mm. It seems like the, the ways that you're able to approach people, it's like they can start to develop an internal map and maybe use locating or describing sensation or things that are coming up emotionally. And then that can become the lexicon for you to meet each other. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Yes, that's such a beautiful way of describing the work that I do. And I agree. And it kind of loops back to like the importance of the pelvic bowl that I really think that, you know, there's such a um, kind of mirroring between our throat chakras and our like pelvic first and second chakras and that if we are in our power we're able to voice that and so I love that you're touching on the power of being able to put words to our experience Um, and then I'll just say briefly that from like a kind of somatic and nervous system perspective um when we're able to put words to our experience, we're hanging out in our prefrontal cortex. And so that's helping to bring out of our subconscious into our conscious awareness, something that we might've not had before. And that's where the real shifts start to happen with people Mm. and who are healing. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. That's beautiful. Thanks for saying that it feels like such a direct link back into power to be able to have conscious awareness of something and put language around it. Because after that, we can talk to each other. We can be validated in our experiences. We can organize and support. Yeah, and thinking of how many of us come from cultures, from generations, from thousands of years of having our voices cut off. Yeah. Yeah. Just another note about your astrology chart. Mm-hmm. I keep glancing over at it. Um, Jeevan is a Leo rising, which means that Taurus is in the 10th house. And the 10th house in a Western chart is the place of career and public image or vocation. Not always the same as career, but it's calling and like what you're putting out into the world. And Taurus is in the axis with Scorpio. And so Taurus and Scorpio rule the gates of the, the throat and the voice and the pelvic region respectively wow. and their relationship to each other. And, um, you have a generational placement, which is Chiron and Taurus a couple of years that Chiron was moving through that sign. And 
Chiron is often called the wounded healer. And so it's like, how do we transmute the pain and suffering or the wound patterns that we've inherited into our gifts? And I love just seeing Chiron up there in your 10th in Taurus. And um, of course, this year Uranus moved into Taurus. And so the next seven years are going to be, I hope, an amplification of your message and the um, kind of continued liberation of this work and putting more words and visibility around it. Oh my gosh, I have goosebumps, Renee. <laughs> so excited. Um, one thing I was thinking about when just a minute ago we were talking about language is how much trauma comes out of the Western medical system, maybe other medical systems too, where there's not language. And earlier we were having a discussion talking about our various experiences, either personally or through our friends and loved ones, having encounters with Western doctors where their bodies weren't, I mean, weren't respected. There was no consent. Maybe there wasn't informed consent. There wasn't information around side effects for really important procedures. We were talking about some of the more common procedures, a a particular procedure around like removing abnormal cell growth from the cervix. Mm -hmm. It's called the LEAP procedure. And that this particular procedure is done a lot. Um, And the potential side effects of it include loss of libido, loss of sexual sensation and pleasure, and also loss of happiness. I was thinking about what you were talking about with Bessel van der Kolk um, and this, you know, being able to connect to our imagination and creativity. And um, so I know someone who recently went through this procedure and there was no consent or information about these side effects before they had it. And that just, just the trauma of that on top of the procedure was astounding Mm -hmm. because it's so violating. Mm -hmm. Yes. How, how have you experienced this in your work? Do you work with a lot of people who are coming to you from a Western system looking for something else? Mm -hmm. I would say most people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yes, I just want to name that that's such, sadly, such a common experience that I hear of people going to a Western medical setting, seeking support, and then coming out traumatized from it. Yeah. Um, And, you know, as a natural medical provider I I don't I I think there are certain aspects of western medicine that I'm grateful for that can save lives you know and there's this huge piece that to me is perpetuating that very like patriarchal model of uh, approaching the human body right of like power over Mm -hmm. instead of like lifting someone up in their power using that as like a a leverage to to really empower Mm -hmm. patients um and so yes that is sadly um yes I've had people come in who specifically want to heal not because of any sexual trauma that's happened or birth trauma, but specifically trauma due to medical Mm -hmm. procedures or interactions. Something that I'm really appreciating hearing about how you're working with people is an approach to healing that's participatory and 
what I what I'm hearing is that you're giving people tools to connect and build relationships with their own body and their healing process, which is not a pathologizing approach, which seems to be the foundation of Western medicine is to make something wrong and address the symptom rather than the whole uh, organism as a organism that's primarily healthy, actually. And can, can you talk a little bit about anything that that just sparked for you? Or? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. I, that is absolutely, um, yeah, my intention in this work. And I often tell my clients and my students that as we take a step towards the wound, we also are going to take a step towards the resource. Mm -hmm. And so that might look like, where can you feel comfort right now in your body? Mm -hmm. Where do you feel pleasure? Mm -hmm. I keep um, like a really nice little secondhand uh, rabbit fur and a sheepskin rug and things that feel really good in my office to help also work not just on um not just on trying to heal what's wrong quote unquote but also trying to really bolster and strengthen what's already there because our bodies already know our bodies are so wise and um all we need is just a little nudge or a little listening to really set in motion the healing Mm. yeah that's such a wonderful Chiron statement, like a step towards the wound is a step towards the healing. I love that. Can you talk a little bit about some of these approaches that you take with people that feel very empowering, like um, this this work that you do around Body Oracle? Jeevan has a, an online class called Body Oracle. What is that? What's yeah. the Body Oracle? Yeah, and so... You know, most of the work I do, I would say, comes out of my own healing and then working with other people um, and then pulling from all these different streams of knowledge that I've studied and practiced. And so Body Oracle is a class all about um, practicing embodiment with this focus of finding our inner yeses and inner noes. Um, which I think is such an important practice right now as we're having conversations around consent, as things are coming up in the media, like every day around people, people feeling violated, that we, that we start to gauge, like, what, what is a yes? What is a no? Because we can't speak our yeses and nos if we don't really know what they are. What does that process look like? How do we find a yes or no in our bodies? Yeah, and so in Body Oracle, I guide people. First, I I give kind of an overview of the nervous system and really talk about um, like our fight, flight, freeze, and appease responses and talk about ways that energy may or may not move in our bodies and start to get people reflecting on like, oh, what a what do I tend to do? Where does my energy tend to go? And then I invite people into a few mindfulness exercises where they recall an experience. And for the no experience, it's a very, it's a like, it's a light no. So it's not like a majorly traumatic experience, but an experience where they like felt no. And then we start to check out like, what was that? How did that show up in your body? Mm. 
And then we start to play with it. And so noticing, like, can I can I increase the volume on that? Like, could I turn it down? And so it becomes this somatic practice and um, exploration that we do together. It's been really cool, Renee. People, I even have people now that I taught this class live um, in January, and they're like, my body oracle like now tells yes. me yeah, yeah like what job to go for and yeah. yeah and so it's so cool to see how just like that simple tool mm-hmm. of tuning in can inform all areas of our lives mm-hmm. and I think there's like deeper layers to go but body oracle I should call it intro to body oracle because it's just the the first steps in that Right. And you're about to start a second step or second part of this program. Is that right? Yeah, I am. Well, I'm going to be relaunching an embodied steaming course. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Will you tell so, us about that next? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Body Oracle 2.0 will be coming too, I think, at some point. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But for the time being, the Body Oracle class is available as an online program people can take mm-hmm. and I was just checking it out this morning I think I'm going to do it looks Yay. really accessible and affordable and amazing and then what is pelvic steaming tell me all about that yeah pelvic steaming is a traditional healing practice that actually comes from so many places in the world um I learned it from a teacher in Central America, uh, but it's practiced, yeah, in like at least 40 or 50 different countries around the world. Um, And it is traditionally, it was a practice done postpartum. So like a practice done by midwives or like facilitated by midwives for people postpartum to help heal tissues, but also like the spirit of people who have given birth. Um, And so a pelvic steam is using, it's basically making a tea out of plants and then sitting over it. And some call it a sauna for your vagina. Uh Uh-huh. Or a yoni steam. Yeah. She even has these really beautiful stools on her website that are like, you (laughs) put the the tea underneath and it's like comes up through this opening. Yes. It's like really great. Yeah. And people don't even need a steam stool. They can like um, go into a child's pose and hover. Okay. But it's really great to get a little bit of support when you're beginning because there is the possibility of burn, which we never want. Right, right. Yeah. I was thinking that would be a good use for yoga blocks. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> you mentioned before that um, you approach pelvic steaming as a somatic practice. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so there are a few different pelvic steam uh, classes out there right now, and they're wonderful, and they really approach steaming as like a physical practice that treats physical symptoms like endometriosis and um, fibroids and cysts and pelvic pain. Um, And so I, I definitely bring that into my teaching, but the focus is around starting to bring some sensation to the pelvic floor Mm. where there may have been um, 
yeah, there may have been some wounding or for people who don't feel connected with their genitals, they may feel like this is not a place that I want to be in. Steaming is a super gentle and non-invasive way to start connecting to this place in our bodies. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. To just go back for a second to all of your various modalities. So you're working with people quite therapeutically through talk and embodied awareness and, um, and then through pelvic steaming. And then you also work with holistic pelvic care as well. Would you share what that is? Yeah. Holistic pelvic care is a modality started by Tammy Kent, who is a physical therapist based in Portland. And basically, um, she founded this because she was in school and learned just a little bit of pelvic internal pelvic floor work and realized that it was completely missing from the rest of her curriculum mm -hmm. and yet it was so this work was so important and again as we were talking about like the disconnect from our pelvic bowls we see this in um medicine too right. that it becomes a place that's pathologized or not really given like enough attention to so so holistic pelvic care works by intravaginally and you can do energetic work externally um, moving mapping out the pelvic floor and then helping to release any areas of tension or holding mm, yeah such amazing work so you work with these modalities and then you're teaching as well and you offer coaching and various different classes and one-on-one -on -one appointments um, and along with the pelvic steaming and body oracle work, I was really drawn to this series called the Embodied Babe. Is that right? Embodied Babe yeah. series? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What yeah. is that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited yeah. about this project. So, you know, as somebody who studied acupuncture, I'm like, how do I do this work? How do I take this work, like, beyond just my office um, and be able to provide healing to people everywhere? Um, so I started the Embodied Babe coaching series, which was um, a series of 12 sessions where which was basically founded on embodiment work. The Embodied Babe coaching series is a series of of really coming into our bodies. It's all about, yeah, what it says embodiment. And the reason I called it an embodied babe um, was because I wanted to make it a little more gender inclusive. Um, and it's, and to me, the power behind embodiment, and I'll keep coming back to this, is that for us to really be empowered, we have to be in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so the embodiment coaching is a way of returning to our bodies as safe and as vessels for creativity and vessels of voice and um and having relationships that feel healthier. For me, the word babe is such a celebratory term. And when I call my friends babe, it's like full of love and tenderness and appreciation for their creativity, their sexuality, their like attraction, attractiveness. And 
when I was looking at the description for this coaching series, I was thinking about the times when I've been really comfortable calling myself a babe, which doesn't happen that often. And I'm wondering, like, in this process that you're going through with people, what, like, what do you think about being a babe? And, like, what does that mean? And how do you coach people in that process? Yeah. Well, first of all, you're a total babe, Renee. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to, like, reflect that to you. It is such a, um, (laughs) you know, like, at least maybe going back to what we were talking about with um, starting to, to bleed and puberty and stuff. I think, um, sexuality and, and like feeling myself as, um, being a somewhat androgynous person, you know, feeling myself kind of in that awareness in a social context Mm -hmm. has always felt a little inaccessible. Like I don't see, I see more and more people that I can relate with. Um, kind of claiming their babeness, their babeliness. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, it's felt like, oh, that, that word doesn't apply. I don't get that. Oh, totally can relate. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah, for so much of my adolescence, like not even feeling like a woman mm-hmm. and um, feeling, I mean, yeah, even like eating lunch by myself and seeing like popular people and feeling very, um, very separate from that, uh, which has also been a process of kind of like how much of that is also like internalized misogyny or, you know, rejecting, rejecting some piece of myself. So it's been an interesting process for me, but, um, But I would say, yeah, not feeling like a babe for so much of my life and really feeling like that's other. And that, yeah, to me, the word babe, which can apply to anybody, I love it as a word that's like all-inclusive, is somebody who feels at home in their bodies. Mm. Yeah, and that that confidence I'm like a real I'm like I don't know if this is in my chart but I feel like I can really like see through the bullshit really easily with people Mm -hmm. it's in your chart okay (laughs) (laughs) it's like the moment I meet somebody I can sense Mm -hmm. who like what's going on Mm -hmm. and um there's something that I call like fake confidence and something I saw a lot in my 20s of like this like fake it until you make it and I can see through that so easily and I can also see when somebody's confidence is like so rooted in their own journey of coming into themselves and being with themselves in a friendly way and that doesn't mean you know with the embodied babe is somebody who's committed to returning to themselves over and over and over again. It doesn't mean it happens every day. Right. It doesn't mean there aren't days of like, oh, I just don't feel good today. Right. Yeah, but that commitment piece and the the confidence that's like a real confidence that comes from being at home with oneself. Yeah. Yeah, what I'm hearing in that is bringing me back to, um, not quite sure when it was, a couple of minutes ago, and you were mentioning working with trauma, working with uh, like the dissociative patterns, fight, flight, freeze, and then I heard you include appease. And um, I, I was thinking about the appeasing part 
as uh, a method of distraction for our bodies. And that's such a strong message and lesson that I've been given as a female person um, is to be pleasing. And I think that is the biggest barrier for me when I think about owning the the word babe or identifying with that is an externalized idea of what that should be or what that looks like. Mm. In your coaching series, is there any way to talk about like what does this journey look like for folks or what are some um, experiences you've had as, as a facilitator or practitioner going through them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I can say that my clients, when they come, are coming for a reason. And that's usually them being aware that they feel disconnected on some level and along with that, disempowered. They're in relationships or family relationships or careers that don't feel fulfilling to them. Maybe they're just even their relationship to their own body feels like it's depleting. Um, and so really working, like I named before, going towards towards that with curiosity and with, I sometimes call it body magic, but you can call it mindfulness. Um and, and then weaving in these self-care practices to start to build that muscle of like touching oneself and of being with oneself. And, and by no means, I'm like all about looking at everything that's there. Um, and I see it as a strength, but I know some people are sometimes overwhelmed. So I've, had, I've learned to like take a few steps back and be like, okay, we won't jump into the void. We'll just like put a toe in there. <laughs> together um but but yeah like standing there with people and allowing them to see what comes up and then to start to move move it Mm -hmm. and so I've seen huge transformations happen with my clients and it's in just a few months of going from being like sexually cut off and in an unhappy relationship to being like oh my gosh, like, I am, like, we broke up, it was, like, so good and loving, and I am, like, feeling, like, so in my body in this way I've never felt, and I, like, know what I want and what I like, oh, and I'm gonna go, like, try this new career path that I've always wanted to do, and so I see it all uh, connected, but starting at that base right. of like being in, in yeah. friendship with ourselves. Right. Which yeah. basically brings us full circle back to this idea of the pelvic bowl being the home to creativity and agency. Yes. And so you're working with people very specifically around, um, womb and, and pelvic healing. And then the entire rest of their lives are connecting in. Is that right? Yes, totally. And sexuality, we haven't, you know, explicitly named it that much, but I just think, yeah, sexuality is such a strong piece to this. And for me, when I feel into being a sexual being, I feel warmth. Mm. I feel like tingling on my skin. I feel my breath and I feel aliveness. And so I, my work is about helping people get in touch with their aliveness through their pelvic bowls. Mm. Can we talk a little bit about desire? Yeah. Let's talk desire. Um, in 
my own experience, as I was mentioning, feeling disconnected from my babe identity or feeling disconnected in a lot of ways from my gender. I don't feel non-binary. I feel pretty solidly uh, femme identified, but I don't feel like my desire um, has been that accessible to me throughout my life. Mm-hmm. And I think in large part because the stories I get about what desire should look like, should look like for women, etc., or you know, that desire is always linked with sexuality, mm-hmm. that it's been really hard for me um, to, to get, to feel connected mm-hmm. to my desire. Like I can feel it when it comes to worldly ambition or like I want to, you know, move towards some kind of achievement that feels very easy, but to actually just connect to a very embodied space of desire feels challenging. I imagine I'm not alone. Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because I think it's a vulnerable experience to share and one that we don't talk about and we don't make room for, right? And there's this assumption of like, oh, you know, yeah, from that objectifying standpoint of being a babe means that you're like sexually turned on all the time and that looks this way. Um, I love this book that you may or may not have heard of called Come As You Are. Mm -hmm. And she talks about the, um, just the like physiological and nervous system aspects of being in, in our sexual bodies and um and how there's so much variance and I love to start that book by saying there's nothing wrong with you Mm. there's nothing wrong with you we're each so different and I would say that a lot of folks they part of the work I do with people is starting to tune in is this my particular flavor of sexuality or is there some block there Mm-hmm. or some wound or something there that got placed maybe I was even born into it or maybe something happened and that that process got shut down and I would say that that's that often that that does come up that people are like actually I think something in me was shut down and so I love bringing pleasure practices into the work that I do um, and that might look like yeah, like touching something that's very soft or velvety and just staying with it for small uh, sips of pleasure. If we do too much, it can kind of be overwhelming for people. And so we're right there, like I said, walking the edge of like, okay, how much can you let this in? And Mm -hmm. how does that feel? And then starting to connect that to our sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like you would just be such an amazing person to work with with your, I think what you named before, now I'm forgetting what you named it, actually, your um, ability to see through things. Do you remember how you said that? I don't know, like bullshit detector. Bullshit detector, yeah. <laughs> um, in, in Jeevan's chart, so you have um, your Pisces sun person, and as a Leo rising person, that puts Pisces in the eighth house, and the eighth house is related to the eighth sign, which is Scorpio. So the themes of Scorpio in the eighth house are themes of what is hidden, what is kind of submerged in the deep waters, and the deep waters are the deep feelings astrologically, water is the emotional element, and so things that have like, 
you know, been weighted or anchored somehow. They're stuck in, in the mud. They've been buried for a long time. And um, the way that Scorpio, I think, really brings its gift is to be able to see all the way into the depth to, or to sense all the way into the depth. And out of all the signs, Scorpio is the one that has the most keenly attuned um, psychological awareness. So when I'm looking at your chart and seeing that Pisces sun, um, so a personal radiance that is really radiating with and through a pervasive emotional sensitivity, like spidey sense, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, into what, what can't be talked about, what feels emotionally heavy or scary or repressed or something like this. Um, and then the way that your son gets aspected in your chart by a number of different things, um, the, the sense that I get is that your bullshit detector is at least with your clients. I don't know how it is in the rest of your life or the rest of the world, but that it's so loving Mm -hmm. and that I imagine having you call me out on bullshit or like, you know, Renee, like I feel like maybe you're not connecting to your truth or is this your story or someone else's? I imagine that would be just such a loving experience coming from you. Thank you. Thank you for naming that. That's so cool that that shows up in the chart. Yeah. yeah, thank you for naming that. And I've had that reflected to me um, over and over again that people are like, wow, that like hit something mm-hmm. home. And I went home and really sat with that. And like, thank you for mm-hmm. for bringing, for like saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, I've had to learn to like, to communicate in a way that's loving and not just go straight into right. poke my finger into right. it and be like, but don't you see this? Right. That's where your Aquarius <laughs> moon comes in. You're like, fact. Exactly. I'm like, I've got my glasses on. This is a scientific observation. <laughs> of like, don't you see this too? And it's just like, I, my personality is just so much of like, wow, that hurts. Let's check that out. Like, mm-hmm. what is that? Like, I, I want to get to know that. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, taken, it's taken me a while to realize that, um, that most people maybe aren't, aren't like that. And that's part of the draw coming right. to see me is that they get to be guided at the pace of their own bodies, right. um, towards that. And so, yeah, thank you for reflecting that yeah. on the chart. Well, I love that you just said that too, because I think that, you know, in this other thread that we've been kind of traveling with around patriarchy and the way that, um, systemic oppression of not just women's bodies, a lot of women's bodies, but I'd say like people's bodies, people's embodied pleasure, not the objectified dominating pleasure, but a real like sense of connection to bodies and pleasure, um, that that gets so wiped out by all of these stories that we have about whatever. And, whatever they are, whether they're, you know, super early experiences around our own bodies, messaging we're getting, um, being shamed for masturbating, adolescent experiences, sexual trauma, all of that gets held in this place where societally there's not a lot of space for it unless that space is in some ways perpetuating the trauma. 
mm-hmm. there, that there's such a um, aesthetic around like traumatizing storytelling, you know, and this kind of sensationalizing of trauma, but that when we can encounter those parts of ourselves and start to move towards them, just like you said a while ago, that one step towards um, the wound is a step towards the healing and a step towards the power, that those places, um, I don't know if you feel this in your work, uh, but I know when I do my embodied work with clients, I'll often feel these, I call them nodes, and they're like hubs of quietude and stillness Mm -hmm. where something has been held very, very deeply for a very long time. And it's kind of like a sun or a planet and that energy orbits around it, but the actual center of it is... um, encapsulated in this like membrane of defensiveness or, or it's, you know, some kind of protective function and it, that protective function kind of like exists to dispel any attention towards it. Mm -hmm. But then when we, when we can hold awareness and get in there, a lot of times what will come up is just profound joy or like some kind of, you know, big creative inspiration or feeling really empowered and really like energized or something like yes. that. And so I'm thinking about the, um, this work that you're doing with people around like encountering these stories and then your capacity as a facilitator, what I think is your capacity in looking at your chart to probably, um, do your own body scan with your clients and I'm guessing fairly quickly identify where there are places that are frozen and where there are places that are kind of distracted. And I love hearing you talk about how you work, Renee, because it's just so cool to think of how all the different ways that we get to approach the body and that we, <laughs> that we tend to like kind of, yeah, find these similar patterns of, there being these places of holding and that around that um, there might be a little defense system of like, nope, can't go in here. No, we haven't been in here many years. This isn't allowed. And then when we're able, when the body's able to feel safe enough to actually go towards it, then underlying that can be so much joy, power. Yeah. I want to give a um, big up to our birth year. Jeevan and I have the same birth year. We were both born in 1983. And I've encountered a lot of people through my work as an astrologer who are 1983 babies. And folks are all different, for sure, what everybody's going through and their different paths. But in 1983, there were two really powerful conjunctions happening. Saturn and Pluto were conjunct in the late degrees of Libra and the early degrees of Scorpio. And Uranus and Jupiter were conjunct in Sagittarius. So Saturn and Pluto come together every 36 years. Like they're about to come together in 2020, all of 2019 they're applying. Saturn is the time Lord. It's like the energy that matures us and that sets things into form. And Pluto is the Lord of death. (laughs) So the energy that destroys and, um, transforms. And so those two coming together and Jeevan and I have a similar, um, ascendant. So we both have these 
Saturn and Pluto at the root of our charts. I think those two coming together have this quality of intense purposefulness and commitment that is not attached to form. And Uranus and Jupiter together um, have this quality to rapidly synthesize information and to be, um, I think, fascinated and hungry for, for knowledge, but also to not be really constrained by a form. There's this need to synthesize and to see the similarities between different paths. Mm-hmm. And with the thing that you were just saying, I was thinking about um, what an amazing thing it is to be alive right now, to be our age, to be in, I mean, the community that in, that we share in some ways of being queer, female identified healers and um, this uprising that is happening right now with folks around somatic work and embodiment work and the streaming together of a lot of wisdom paths and um, self-knowing and ancestral healing. I just, I, I love to hear what you're doing and um, the way that you're working. Feel so excited about the the ways that you're bridging these different modalities. Yeah, and it feels inevitable as you're yeah. talking about that. Like every like so many traditional uh, systems of science and spirituality observe that when we push or when something you know expands and need, then needs to contract or the other way around. If it's been contracted, it goes into expansion. Right. And so I'm just like. Yeah, it's a really exciting time to be doing this work, mm-hmm. um, and I feel so strongly. <laughs> so often, I'm I'm like seeing people's posts on Instagram or seeing books come up, and I feel even like pleasure activism by Adrian Marie Brown. Yeah. I started reading it a few weeks ago, and I'm like, we're like like whatever her muse is like where I feel like there's like a collective muse right now and that so many of us are like tuning into this and it oh I got goosebumps because that is part of the toppling over of patriarchy is that it has to be collective it has to happen together and part of happening together means that our body needs to be like on board with working together absolutely yeah it can't be mental no and not or not purely mental it really we have to be able to feel our our effect with each other feel our relationship feel ourselves yeah totally one other thing I was just thinking when you were talking was um how the Saturn Pluto conjunction is a signature for alchemy Mm. and that so much of the work that I see you doing that I feel that I'm doing that so many in our cohort are doing is this reclaiming of ancestral knowledge but bringing it into a, a this age and um again the synthesis and you know for you as an mixed race person and when I first interviewed you (laughs) 10 years ago I remember talking with you about like what's it like to be going to this yoga studio where eight of eight (laughs) out of ten people are white (laughs) and here you are as like maybe one of the only brown people maybe the only person of Indian descent that was coming to the classes like what did that feel like remember we were having quite a um a good conversation about that. But now thinking about your work and um, 
how you studied East Asian medicine here in the States and you're blending all of these different ancestral practices. And I feel like going, I'm going to make an assumption. I don't know what your program was like, but I feel like you're probably going a lot deeper into the ancestral practice that it's not um, so much about the memorization of the texts or like working with these different forms, but back into the roots of an elemental practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Before I, I speak to that, I, as I was on my way here, I was remembering telling you like, you know, I'm, it's getting better in the studio, but I just can't get on board with the namaste at the end. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, I've stopped saying that at the end of classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was remembering that conversation too. And, and I like to always name at some point that, you know, I'm not Chinese, I'm not East Asian, and yet I'm practicing a medicine that came from right over the mountains of where my ancestors came from. And there was um, an exchange of information that happened. But I, but even as a person of color, it's important for me to like to name where I come from and also where I don't come from. Um, and that as I you know, studied East Asian medicine and have so much deep respect for the system. Um, it made me more and more realize that there's a lot of crossover with traditional systems of medicine and that, uh, you know, using different words and different kind of, uh, yeah, mapping to explain what's happening. But, but there's a lot of overlap of like coming to the body as whole Mm-hmm. and to the person and not the pathology and then also this other piece of really connecting to the natural world and I think that's a huge piece of embodiment that I would like to talk more about in in my work is how to remember ourselves as nature yeah 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 mm. Jeevan thank you so much thank you Renee is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Hmm. I guess I just want to say to folks who um, who might be listening to this and might be feeling like, wow, I need some healing around my pelvic bowl and it feels scary or they don't know where to go, that to just start small mm-hmm. and to find somebody who's really who that they can build a, a trusting relationship with. Um, there's a saying in therapeutic circles that what gets wounded in relationship heals in relationship. And so my work is strongly relational, um, meaning that the relationship itself is part of the healing that happens. And so as they're looking for somebody to work with, to make sure it's somebody that they can start to develop um, trust with, because that's going to be really, really fundamental for the work itself. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thanks for saying that. Do you only work in person or do you work online with people? I do work online and I'm currently working on some, well, I'll be relaunching the embodied steaming class soon. And then I'm thinking about um, doing some group coaching because I think there's, like I mentioned, collective. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something that feels really powerful about working in a group right now. So yeah. keep your eyes peeled for that so people can do the steaming class online as Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. yeah the steaming class is online and then right now I'm currently teaching an in-person class that will hopefully make its way online this year called sacred sexual contracts Mm. and it's a six-week class that I teach with Liz Long who's a Reiki healer and intuitive healer and an ally a white ally um where we really start to like examine and transform and rewrite our contracts that we've made with ourselves and with the world around our sexuality. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and all of this is on the website. Okay. Has that class started already? It did. It this did. will be our second class today. Okay. And Jeevan's um, practice is called Flower Hand Wellness, and you can find her website at flowerhandwellness.com. Anything else we want to leave the listeners with, Jeevan? Um, and feel free to find me on my Instagram as well, at Flower Hand Wellness. Um, I like receiving messages from people and, you know, directing them to the right place to go. So feel free to reach out. Definitely follow Jeevan's Instagram. It's so good. It's one of my favorites. Yay. Yours is one of my favorites. <laughs> Yay. You also have, um, is it a podcast, the Moon... Moon, what are the Moon Monday Mondays? Mondays. Moon Day yeah. Mondays, yeah. It is a um, series of conversations twice a month with folks who are in the world of embodied healing and womb and pelvic healing, um, where we I basically sit and and interview people about the work that they do, and they usually share some sort of self-care practice. And so that will, right now I'm like figuring out the technology platform that's best for that, but definitely stay tuned. Okay. But for the meantime, when you sign up um, for free on your website, you get access to those videos and then you get a link to log in. And I don't know if it's a participation, but to to be there to observe the conversations. Is exactly. That right? For right now, if you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get access to this library yeah. of videos. And um, and I hope to have a more participatory live, whether that's back on Instagram live, but somehow having a more uh, live component too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I am over the moon and so excited about your work, Jeevan. Thanks for coming to talk to me. Thank you, Renee. It's so awesome to just get to spend time with you. I know. We should do it more. <laughs> Ditto. Does <laughs> that so feel like a good place to perfect? All right. Thanks everyone for listening. I sure hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I just want to remind you that from now until September 1st, you can get a 25% discount on Jeevan's annual Embodied Babe membership subscription. Check my show notes for the signup link or go directly to Jeevan's website, flowerhandwellness.com and use the code ASTROBABES at checkout. That's all caps, ASTROBABES. 
As always, if you enjoyed Embodied Astrology and these guest episodes, please consider becoming a sustaining subscriber. Subscriptions are pay what you can, and subscribers receive all kinds of monthly astro gifts and perks. Find out more at embodiedastrology.com slash subscribe.